Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Matina. Good evening, my name is Matina, and I am a compulsive overeater. It's, uh, it is a pleasure to be here today. Thank you, Lizanne and Michael, for asking me here to uh, uh, participate in two of my favorite things, uh, one of which is uh, participating in my own recovery and my own program, and the second, of course, is speaking about myself. <laughs> I am a compulsive overeater, and I hated that term and I hated admitting that and it truly just crawled all over me at uh, uh, when I first came into this program uh, uh, welcome to the newcomers I hope you find you find uh, uh, the happiness and the relief and the joy and the laughter and the tears and, and all the solutions in this room that, that are available to you um, if I do not fall face first into a sheet cake uh, I will have five years in August. So that's always an option. I don't fall off the podium. Um, okay. What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Uh, thank you, Lizanne, for asking me to speak. Uh, Lizanne is an old and dear friend of mine and asked me to speak without ever having heard me. So guess what? It's me. Um, uh, what it was like. I was born a week before Christmas in 1960. Uh, you can do the math in your head. I'm 52 years old. Uh, I say that my parents, my mother was 20 at the time, and my father was 22. And I have a brother who's a year older than me. Um, and I say that because my parents are lovely, wonderful people who did the best they could, but they were children having children. And they had absolutely no tools of their own. And to the best of my knowledge, have acquired very few since then. Uh, you can laugh at my pain, but it's the truth. <laughs> um, uh, I am five foot ten and uh, a sturdy girl. And uh, uh, but when I was born, I was allergic to milk and baby food. And I was an incredibly sickly infant. I had pneumonia twice before I was a year old. They were wondering if I was actually going to thrive. Uh, they put me on table food when I was probably about six weeks old. And um, apparently I did thrive. And uh, <laughs> my brother, who's a year older than me, uh, is not a compulsive overeater, but he is indeed a rageaholic. But he was a very, very picky eater as a child. And I think my disease kicked in really early because uh, uh, my brother wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat. And I go, look, look, I eat all mine. I eat everything on my plate. They're like, oh, what a good girl you are. And uh, I didn't really hear that too much after three and a half or four. However, the behavior continued because whatever was in what I was eating uh, filled a void that was just in me that I had. And... Um, as I grew up, uh, my dad was in the service. We moved around a lot. I spent an inordinate amount of my life growing up being the new kid. And uh, for those of you who have that sort of background, you understand it's a, uh, it's a gift and a, you know, and a curse because 
I say that because the curse is you have to move and start over again every 18 months to two years. And the gift is that you can invent yourself every time you move, which is kind of a scary thing for a little kid. And um, uh, I became rather bookish and uh, very precocious. And and at the age of five, I really wanted to be uh, one of Tina Turner's backup singers. And... uh, I know it sounds funny, but if you lived in Montgomery, Alabama, and you were five years old and you wanted to be a backup singer for Tina Turner, something was very off. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. But those were my career goals. That was my absolute career goal for, for many, many years. And, um, um, you know, a fairly normal kid. Um, I remember when I was in third grade, I started getting chubby, or what they said was chubby. And I look at photographs of myself now, and I was just a kid. I was just growing. Um, we moved around an awful lot. And when I was in junior high, we came back to Roost in the very same small town in North Alabama that my mother is from. And um, all of a sudden, I was in a town where I was related to every fifth person. And um, I couldn't reinvent myself. I couldn't, you know, I could be a chameleon. I could be whoever you needed or wanted me to be to make you feel okay. And to make you feel okay. And to make you feel okay. And and I liken it to having all those plates spinning in the air. The guy in Ed Sullivan used to do that. Do you remember that? Dun, 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 and he had like everybody looking at the plates, looking at the plates, looking at the plates. <laughs> and and that's a wonderful thing if you're a person in addiction because you're looking at all the plates and you're not looking at me. And you're looking at all the plates and I'm looking at all the plates and I'm not looking at me. You know, I've heard so many people talk about. Um, I eat my feelings, you know, and I eat my emotions, and I just, I don't even know that I had them. I was so completely unaware. I was never aware that I was eating my feelings or, or covering stuff up. I just sort of put myself on autopilot and, and bumbled along that way until my late 40s. So, um, when we moved back to North Alabama, uh, my grandparents came to live with us, and my grandmother very subsequently uh, passed away and um, uh, it was a really awful time in our family and you know when someone's sick they're always bringing tons of food to the house and um, nobody was really paying attention to us kids were kind of running wild and and I started eating an awful lot and I gained weight and I was very unhappy and um, I missed my grandmother terribly and we were in a new place that I didn't particularly want to be and um, my parents who had no tools um, thought I needed to lose weight. And whether they were right or not, their methods of going about it were um, draconian. Uh, they would talk about me in front of me. You know, and say things like, well, she just needs to do this. She just needs the willpower. She just needs to stop eating. And I'm standing right there. And they're not talking to me. They're talking about me. And or they were talking at me which really made me uh, go inside myself even more. Uh, and my dad is in the medical profession, and so there was always all sorts of substances around the house. And um, my dad has, I, my, my father, I'm pretty sure, is a compulsive overeater as well. And uh, he was always on a diet. And um, uh, there were always all sorts of substances around, and uh, a lot of them were what would be called now diet pills, speed. Speed. And so um, between over-the-counter things, which back in those days there was something called AIDS, A-Y-D-S, 
not the disease. And, um, and it was a chocolate candy that you ate, chocolate or caramel. It's candy. And you ate it, and you drank a cup of coffee, and you buzzed for, like, the entire day. <laughs> and uh, so between those and uh, what my parents actually gave me and uh, what I copped at school, um, I was a very busy teenager. Uh, however, I didn't lose any weight. So isn't that interesting? <laughs> uh, and, and I tried everything. And this is all in high school. I was, I was sent to... Uh, my father's friend who was a hypnotist, hypnotherapist, and I had hypnotherapy when I was like 14 years old. Uh, I was sent to Weight Watchers at 13, and I'm in a room with a whole bunch of 35, 40-year-old women, and I was 13 years old, and, and my, um, my self-esteem and my self-image would get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then at the same time, that, that part of us, the crazy part of us, that, that um, overcompensates would get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I was, uh, I was the funny girl. I was the theater major. I was ever so responsible. I babysat everyone's children. And that's a fantastic thing to do if you're a compulsive overeater. And that's where I really learned how to be sneaky, sneaky with food. A lot of the girls are laughing because they know what I'm talking about. Because when you would babysit, you wouldn't want them to find out you had taken too much of any one thing. So you take a big bowl. And you put some ice cream and maybe some cocoa pebbles and you know, bits and pieces and, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you'd have this enormous bowl and you would eat it all down and wash it up so nobody knew what you had done. And I would be so sick from doing this. Yet I would do it every time I babysat. Go figure. And I babysat a lot because I didn't have a lot of dates. And I didn't have a lot of dates because I was very awkward. Uh, and I thought I was fat. But I look at pictures of myself and I wore my mom's clothes. And my, and my mom wore a 10-12 now, I'm almost six foot tall, so I cannot have been that fat, but in my mind, I was huge, and um, uh, those were the days of Annie Hall, so I wore a lot of, like, really oversized shirts and fedoras and ties, it was a very attractive look, and, uh, you know, I just uh, wanted out of the house that I lived in, and I wanted out of the town that I lived in. And I was terrified of becoming pregnant because in my high school, fully half of the girls were married before we graduated. And I was just terrified of being trapped in that town. And, um, and so I was a good girl, and I got pretty decent grades, and always a big overachiever. And I was, when I went to my freshman year of college, I was, half, I was almost a sophomore because I took college credits in different places. And when college came around, that was fantastic because I was hours away. I didn't have a car. Uh, and we had a cafeteria, which if you've ever spent any time in the Deep South, a good cafeteria is a beautiful thing. <laughs> a beautiful thing. You know, and I ate at least three, meal, at least three meals a day. And, um, and it was great. And uh, people would always, you know, complain about the food, and I really couldn't understand why. Like, this is great. Um, so I was away at college, and, you know, I hadn't had many dates in high school, and uh, a lot of that I wasn't, you know, thought I thought I wanted out of that town. I wasn't quite sure why. And uh, when I got to college, come to find out, I'm gay. I had no idea. In my family, we never talked about anything, much less anything different, so I had absolutely no idea that I was gay. You know, I liked a lot of girls. I thought they were fun, but I had big crushes on boys, too, so... Um, I had dated a guy my senior year, and 
he and I were compulsive overeaters together, which was great because we would do a lot of drugs and drink a lot and and uh, and eat our way to to happiness. And um, and he was my boyfriend, so. Uh, uh, I went away my freshman year of college, sophomore year, and I came home at Christmas, and I said, Honey, I need to tell you something. He said, Oh, honey, I need to tell you something. <laughs> I'm like, No, I need to tell you something. And he goes, No, let, and we told each other the exact same thing. <laughs> no wonder we were such a happy, fat couple, weren't we? And uh, Matina and Michael, Michael and Matina, everyone, oh, my God, they're the most fun couple. They're the most fun couple, these two. Oh, my God, they're just great. And funny enough, if we had not divorced many, many years ago, today would be our 28th wedding anniversary. Because now you see where that one went. Because I so wanted to be the good girl, and I wanted my parents to be happy and to love me no matter what. Uh, I was not the daughter my mother wanted. My mother wanted a blonde cheerleader. And... uh, my mother wanted someone to be in the sorority and to be, you know, married with five kids. I'm not that daughter, and I never was that daughter, but I really, really tried very hard to be. To where, on this day 28 years ago, I got up, I put on a white dress, I drank a bottle of champagne, I, I talked to half of Columbia, and I walked down the aisle to a great, big, fat, white Greek Orthodox wedding. And I was very much mired in my disease at that time because not only was I drinking and drugging a tremendous amount I was eating everything that wasn't nailed down they had to let my dress out twice and uh, uh, in my quest to be the normal all-American girl that's where it led me to to people please to the absolute extreme and there was no maliciousness behind it that's just where it was he and I uh, bought a bar together because that'll help. <laughs> and, uh, and we owned and operated a very highly regarded jazz bar for 10 years until I had enough and I had to get out of that town and I moved away, moved away and a few years later we were divorced. But consequently, I've been having relationships with women and, of course, because I'm gay and, um, <laughs> and that's kind of how it works. <laughs> and... Um, uh, we went through everything during those years trying to be that person or that version of the person I thought I was supposed to be. You know, I wanted to be thin. I wanted to be comfortable. I wanted to be sexy. I wanted to be all those things you see in TV and movies and magazines that I just wasn't. I've always, my entire life, have been so incredibly self-conscious. I changed clothes 14 times before I came here tonight. Those of you looking at this outfit are thinking, well, you settled on that one? (laughs) Yes. It's because it's incredibly warm here today. And and, uh, to add insult to injury, I didn't want to be up here uh, sweating in front of you. Um, So, yeah, I I was so, so, so self-conscious. I started this game, little game, when I was probably in college. And I still catch myself doing it every blue moon. I will stand in front of the mirror and look at that mirror and think, if I just had a magic knife and I would cut off that part of my head, then I would cut off that part of my shoulders. And I, would, and I sculpt myself in a mirror into a version of myself that I am not and never will be. 
and I see some people shaking their heads. They understand what I'm talking about. You know, I I went through the diet. I went through the the drinking the powders twice a day, and then a meal of like you know three pieces of turkey and B12 shots twice a week. And I went through Jenny Craig, and I went through Weight Watchers, and I went through half of Columbia trying to make myself be the person that I desperately thought I needed to be to be okay. And I I ended up uh, when I was 33 years old uh, in San Francisco. Uh, after my 9,000th hangover, I woke up uh, out of the blue and I called Alcoholics Anonymous. Out of the blue. Knew nothing about them. It's just I had hit a wall with this addiction. And uh, uh, and they helped me in a tremendous way and, and I started working a 12-step program. And I thought, this is it. This is what I need. I'm. This is good. I'm going to be okay. And... Um, and I hadn't had a drink in almost 20 years, but it did not change my body. And it did not change my mind and the way I think about my body. And uh, uh, after a number of years in, in AA, I, I uh, realized I had a huge problem in having relationships with other people. And I joined the program of Al-Anon, which has been one of the biggest blessings in my life um, because I, I, uh, I understand that uh, not only do I have the disease of addiction for substances, I have the disease of addiction for fixing people. And, um, uh, great, I'm going to be fine. I'm just, you know, like Steve Martin, all I need is this lamp. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to be fine. So I, uh, uh, you know, I moved out here to pursue my work. In my line of work, I speak to people. I, I, uh, uh, I, I am an entertainer and I speak to people and I want that instant gratification and I want you to approve of me and like me and if you don't, well, I, I'll go off and do, you know, do some sort of psychic damage to myself. Um, but I was feeling ever so much better about myself but I, you know, something was still off. I, I had gained quite a bit of weight back up and down, up and down, up and down. I... Um, I have some photographs of myself from 1997, and I was the thinnest I'd been in my adult life. And I truly, I went to a, a big Mardi Gras ball, which we do in the South, and um, I had on this gorgeous uh, gold uh, strapless sequined evening gown. My hair was puffed up. My makeup was incredible. I looked like Miss Alabama. Uh, the dress belonged to a drag queen. And uh, and the same guy did my hair and face. But my point is, that was my pinnacle of what I was supposed to be. That's what I was supposed to be. And um, standing here in blue jeans and a, and a Chinese top, not really, not really. Um, so I, I uh, had a number of failed relationships uh, because I want you to love everything about me. Uh, but, but I'm not willing to. I want you to approve of me and love me and cherish me in all the ways that I'm not willing to do so for myself. And uh, somebody always pulls the covers and finds out. And that's when they leave and they take your sofa. <laughs> <laughs> so I started seeing this woman, because I'm gay, and um, lovely gal, and she... Uh, um, was not the most petite gal in the world, and um, 
we met for dinner. Ooh, a few emails, little saucy emails, and we met for dinner. And um, she ordered her dinner in the strangest fashion I had ever seen. And I thought, well, how bizarre. Uh, and I said, oh, don't you want some XYZ? And she's like, no, no, no. I'm fine, thank you. And, um, you know, by the end of uh, dinner and on to coffee, we had uh, opened up our lives to reveal to each other that, yes, I am sober. And she was abstinent. And and being in the rooms of AA and being around 12-step programs, I'd heard of OA. Uh, honestly, I had made fun of OA. Uh, I was like, oh, they're all cranky because they're hungry. Uh, <laughs> some of us are. Some of us are. Um, but it was like, wow, this really attractive woman who I thought was sexy as all get out. And she was abstinent. And I really just didn't understand. You know, well, this is, I've got to find out more about A, this, and B, her. So um, we started dating. And and honestly, it was really just a truly horrific relationship. And I think it was because my higher power wanted me to be 12-stepped into OA, and her higher power wanted her to be 12-stepped into Al-Anon. So fantastic. So, you know, me and me and my two programs, and her and her two, her two programs at the time, so the six of us were trying to date. And, uh, <laughs> You know, but I went to some OA meetings with her because I was genuinely interested and I was realizing that I was just, you know, I didn't have any more options. I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was so uh, worn out by one more diet, by one more Monday morning that by 10 o'clock I'd already blown. You know, I, I'm so upset with myself. I have no discipline. I have no willpower. I haven't had a drink in 20 years, but I can't quit eating cheesecake. What the heck is that about? And um, I just truly, truly was horribly unkind to myself. And um, so I started going to meetings with her just for checking them out. And coincidentally, I went to live in Ireland that summer because I was writing something that I needed to be in Ireland for. And um, I went to uh, OA meetings in Ireland when she came to visit, which was just, just bizarre. And, um, uh, and I had done all this, yet I still had not committed to this program and I knew that when I left Ireland came home to the States to live that the jig was up that I was committing to this program you know but until then I'm going to eat every piece of bread that is not nailed down and if you've ever been to Ireland you know there is a lot of bread and um, I was sitting in my my little cottage uh, one day and uh, there were these dreadful, dreadful chocolate tea biscuits, which is what they call Oreos. And um, I didn't want them to start with. And I saw myself uh, like, like, like pulling, like pulling a, a slot machine. I just kept seeing the arm coming back and forth to my mouth, back and forth to my mouth, until this huge thing of cookies was gone. And I didn't want them. And I kept saying, I really don't want these. I really want to stop these. And that's when that penny dropped. It's like, you are a compulsive overeater. And left to your own devices, will eat yourself to death. And I had that psychic awareness, that change. And when I came home to the United States, the first thing I did was I went to an OA meeting. Uh, I, I told my my partner at the time, I said, I'm going to go to this meeting tonight. I'm going for me. I'm not going to your meeting. I'm going to this one. If you'd like to go with me, that's great, but I'm going to identify as a newcomer. And, and I did. And um, 
what a relief, what a relief to find out that I am not alone. There's a name for this. There's a fellowship for this. I um, I have a lovely, beautiful sponsor who, uh, when I get all crazy and upset, she, you know, I'll, I'll do something like, oh, God, I did X, Y, Z. I did so and so. And she goes, oh, honey, I've had problems with that, too. You know, she doesn't shame me and she doesn't blame me which is exactly what I grew up with. It's all about shame and blame and why you're not doing it right. And um, uh, I have a sponsor who reminds me that I am human, uh, despite my best efforts. And um, and that, you know what, my this is just me. This is just me. Of course, I'm the only one up here. Um, it was really easy for me to put down a drink. I was a heavy, heavy drinker, and I put that down, and I walked away from it, and it was, uh, you know, the skies opened, and then the sun shone, and, you know, and great, and I had never been tempted by a drink in all these years. Uh, I put down cigarettes 16 years ago, and yes, I want one every day, but I will never have another one. I know that, Um, but the food is... It's not that black and white, and that's the hardest thing for me to get. You know, I want to be able to figure it out, and I'm going to figure it out is not one of our slogans. Um, (laughs) You know, I want to figure out how, uh, and I love it talks about this in in step six, that how I can can keep my defects without them hurting me, (laughs) right? How I can make this work for me, how I can still have me. So uh, almost five years ago, I, I gave up. Uh, on the day I entered, I gave up sugar and white flour. Three meals a day and two snacks if I need them. I almost always need them. Almost always. At one time, I was maintaining a 65-pound weight loss, and I am not today. Uh, In in this time period, life has been in session, and, and I dreamed about coming here to light a candle. I dreamed about coming here and standing up here in front of you in a size 12, 14 and talking about how fantastic my program was and how I get it and, and how you can get it too and just keep ch- coming back. About, and you know what? That is not what has happened. I, uh, I've had a whole bunch of different things in my life happen. Some I dealt with pretty well and some I did not. However, I did not pick up sugar or white flour. Um, I had a total knee replacement three and a half years ago. And that really slowed me down a good bit. I uh, did not break my abstinence, not even in the hospital for five days. I, um, I had my foot rebuilt a year and a half ago. That one was even worse. Um, I don't know about you, but my, my natural state is not exercise bunny. It's, uh, <laughs> it really does tend towards slothdom. And... Um, you know, I wish I wish there was a magic pill or a drug or a potion. I wish there was something I could do or take. But you know what? There's not. This is where I am. And I truly find this to be the best game in town. And I, I have not been a regular at meetings in the way that I wish I had been. Life got really busy. And uh, after, after praying and praying for a job for so long, I got one. And I work like every single day. And my sponsees, God bless them, were used to having, like, free access to me all the time. And now they call. I'm like, I can't talk. I'm at work. Um, And I don't go to meetings like I used to. And it's all those things they talk about, you know, that, that, 
know, they stop going to meetings. They stop reaching out. They stop checking in. Um, I, I reach out to my sponsor every single day. I commit my food. I do speak to my sponsees every single day. Uh, I don't pick up sugar or flour no matter what. And some days, it looks really good. I mean, it really looks good, but then I follow it through, all the way through. Like they talk about follow a drink through. And I see myself, you know, miserable with that arm and the cookie I didn't even want coming towards me. Because that's where I'll be in like that. Because I am a compulsive overeater, and there is no quantity in the world that will fill me up. I used to hate that term because, and I used to have a real resentment against uh, anorexic bulimics. Because people will go, oh, those poor girls, look, it's almost always girls, they're starving themselves to death. Look how, bless their hearts. And they look at you and go, you're a fat pig, stop eating. And no one understood, it's the same disease. It just presents in different ways. And now I have a great compassion for and have worked with anorexic bulimics and uh, uh, put our our troubles in the middle of the floor. I would pick my own back up again. So I love the reading for today. I don't know if you read Voices for Recovery. It is conference-approved literature for OA. When you asked me to speak, I was like, Wait, how can I lose 40 pounds in a month? I can't. <laughs> what am I going to talk about? I don't know. Well, look in the book and see what's on that day. Here's what's on that day. This is who I am today. The compulsive overeater who still suffers isn't always a newcomer to OA. He or she can also be an established member experiencing difficulties with the disease of compulsive eating or with other problems. I was a compulsive overeater still suffering within OA. I struggled for 10 years trying to find the perfect abstinence and the perfect plan of eating. The doors of OA remained open to me, abstinent or not, and for that I am profoundly grateful. The 12-step within committee formed at the World Service Business Conference says that we all have a place in OA and that our group's primary purpose is just to carry the message. We carry the message not just to those who have not yet found OA, but to those of us in OA who are still suffering. Finally, the message reached me or I reached it, and I have abstained ever since. I love that. I, I wanted to be here perfect. I wanted to be that perfect person, that one that my mom wanted, the one that sells dish soap, you know, the one that every girl wants to date. And uh, learning to love myself is really the biggest part of this journey. So whether I'm, whether I'm, I'm, 170 pounds or 280 pounds I'm stuck with me I'm stuck with me it doesn't matter what the package looks like I'm stuck with me I can be more comfortable sometimes at 280 than I can at 170 because when I get myself down that low all I'm doing is holding my breath trying desperately to keep it and I'm not enjoying it um I I was uh, at another meeting of another fellowship this morning and we were talking about the um the principles uh, and the principles apply along with the steps and the traditions so uh, step one which you know we came to believe uh, is honesty I'm standing here before you saying you know what I'm not perfect and I'm going to tell you I'm probably not ever going to be probably not ever going to be step two is hope not step two but uh, uh, principles two is hope and hope is what brought me into these rooms and hope is what's kept me in these rooms. And I know for newcomers, 
when I came in, I would hear people say, oh, I've lost 60 pounds, and I've lost 80 pounds, and all I could hear was that. And all I heard was, I want that. God, I want that. That'll fix me. You know what? I lost 80 pounds. It did not fix me. Uh, but what it did is it gave me a window into uh, serenity in my head to turn that noise in my head off. Because there's two pitches going on right now. The one I'm giving you, and then when I sit down, the other one in my head is what I should have said. Ooh. Uh, principle three is faith and surrender four is courage courage is a beautiful word courage is a French word which actually means from the heart you know if if I can practice these principles and these steps and and work this program the best I can every day from the heart I have a chance I have a chance and that's all they promised me anyway right Uh, five is integrity six is willingness I stay stuck on six uh, I have a, a dear old friend who said uh, at a step stage, she's like, girls, you just build your house on six because you're always going to be there. <laughs> she said, if you cannot afford a house, get yourself a condominium. <laughs> if you cannot afford a condominium, pitch yourself a pup tent. You will always be on step six. <laughs> and that is the willingness to let go of, of all the craziness, of all the things that I have, uh, things maybe that worked for me once upon a time. They just don't. Because that's, you know, an asset when it's, when it's used improperly or dangerously becomes a defect. Willing to let go of my defects. Seven is humility. Humility is a word which translates to mean self-honesty. Eight is brotherly love, and that's the fellowship, which is truly the best part of this for me. To know that I'm not alone, that there are other people who struggle with this. There are other people who struggle with this every day, every moment, every hour. Uh... You know, we don't look alike, we don't sound alike, but very often I find inside we feel alike. Nine is discipline. I hate that one. (laughs) You know, some days when I don't have discipline for anything else, because I don't get up and run every day or measure my food or do all those things, but I don't pick up. I just don't pick up. And if that's my discipline for the day, then some days that's good enough. Ten is perseverance. I don't do it right every day. I just don't. But I'm willing to get up and try it again tomorrow. I'm willing to not pick up that thing right now at this meal. And, and um, I know that uh, I will always find the way through because my higher power will, will, will work that for me. I don't talk about my higher power because for me that is it's a personal thing. You have one. I have one. Yours is not my business. Mine is not your business. Um, but I have a higher power who leads me to and then leads me through amazing things Um, 11 is awareness 12 is service which is why I am here today participating in my own recovery Um, gosh I walked into these rooms almost five years ago and all I wanted was a secret for how to lose weight and get happy and I found a secret for how to get happy and the losing weight really depends on me and my willingness in the day. And, and um, I wish I could say that it's not a weight issue, but for me, some days it really still is. It really still is. It's the way that I see myself. I am a compulsive overeater. I will eat until I'm sick. I will eat until I'm miserable. I will eat food I don't want. I will spend hours and days figuring out ways to get food. Because I cannot 
let myself fill that place with love or compassion or integrity or God. Uh, but because I keep coming back, I'm learning how to do that. You know, the tools are, are, are given to me, and, and I have sponsors and sponsees and friends. I have so many friends in this room, and thank you so much for coming. It's really amazing that you showed up to support me. That, that little kid who just didn't know what to do with herself, you know, that little kid who was told she wasn't perfect, you know, and I, I know you may be thinking that, that my concept of my mother not being what she wanted is in my head, but my mother used to always tell me, you're built like a linebacker which is not funny to a girl. You know, it's a hurtful, awful thing. And so I try to be very conscious when I, when I, especially when I talk to young people, because, you know, they're beautiful little souls. They're just fragile. And to be told, you're not right, especially if you're gay. I'm gay. I'm alcoholic. I'm overweight. I am just a trifecta of happy. And, um, <laughs> but I am. But I am. I am. I am happy. I I, uh, I have an amazing, beautiful life. I live all over the world. I get to talk to people. I get to show up. I don't find myself uh, in a bowl of sugar and look up, looking up, going, well, how did I get here? You know, it's just, there's a freedom and a happiness that I truly could not have imagined when I came to these rooms. And, and it is such a gift and a blessing. So I thank you so very much for showing up today for me and for yourselves. Okay, I guess we still have some time. So, questions. Everybody has questions. How old was I when I found out that I was gay? Um, 17. I was 17, yeah. I truly had no concept. I'm just a slow learner. I mean, I always like, you know, Miss Jane Hathaway, but that's, you know. Yeah. Uh, the question is, what is my spiritual abstinence? What do I do daily in my practice to maintain my abstinence? Um, I wake up every morning, and I, I get on my knees, and I pray. And uh, this whole last year has been very difficult because I really felt very distant from my higher power. And so I just kept acting as if. So I, I, I pray on my knees, and then I go to the bathroom, and then I just sits right next to the toilet, which is a beautiful place because you know you're going to be there. And um, um, I commit my food to my sponsor, and, and I always talk to uh, and or email back and forth with the sponsee as well. But I do remember that what's on my plate today is enough. Truly is enough. Whether my, my brain will agree with me or not. You know, my body actually knows that it's enough. Um, I do remember to thank my higher power at night, if not before. I try to thank my higher power at the beginning of every meal so that I can eat mindfully and not, you know, just drive drunk, basically. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I read, I pray, I meditate, and I reach out to a fellow. Uh, the question is, can I talk about my meditation practice? Um, I learned through another discipline years ago. Uh, the speaker said, if, if the room has to be just right, and the music has to be just right, and the light has to be just right, the room is meditating and not you. <laughs> so I... Uh, <laughs> I, I subscribe more to, Bill Wilson talks about this at length in the big book of AA, uh, that he would go for long walks in nature and quiet, and uh, in that time empty his mind and let his higher power speak to him. And that works very, very well for me. Thomas Merton said, my God, I pray to you better by walking than by talking. Um, 
and I don't do it perfectly, you know. And some days I only have a few minutes, or, and I'll sit in my room or I'll sit in a hotel room. And um, if I can just drown out the noise or just sit there and breathe and listen to my breathing, uh, whether I, you know, uh, you know, whether the mountains chime and, you know, angels sing, whatever, but I have that quiet moment within me. You know, it's like, almost like a click for me that that's... Uh, how I know that I'm really well and truly where I need to be. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much.